Welcome to another episode of Old School Thoughts, and, and thank you for all that you do to make this podcast possible. I am blessed tonight to have a guest. You know, for the last two or three sessions, I've been on my own, providing you with the, <laughs> the words for the archives. But I'm blessed tonight to have my cousin, Martha Buford Green. Um, we've met recently through Ancestry DNA. I love her like I love all of my, all of my guests. But I really want you all to hear what she has to say because she is full of history. She's full of wisdom. And before I take up any more of your time, I'm going to stop talking, pass the mic over to Martha, give her a chance to give you the greeting of the day. And then she will tell you a little bit about herself. And then we'll go right into the discussion for the day. So, Martha, the microphone is yours. Thank you so much, Frank. I'd like to say to your audience, thank you for honoring me to be able to share a little bit of myself and the history that I have with you. And I'd also like to thank you, Frank, because without old school, I don't think I would have thought as deeply about what old school meant to our people and to me. And then lastly, I'd like to send out condolences and prayers to the citizens and people of Uvalde, Texas and all the good people in Texas who are now grieving. A little bit about myself. I came from a large family, African-American family, and grew up in New York. And as a profession, I was in the finance industry, working in technology as well. But now I've retired, and I've just newly discovered that I can paint, and I love doing that. That's a way of me expressing my thoughts uh, visually. And I'd like to say that old school has opened the door for me to think about history. Because as Frank said, we met through genealogy and through DNA ancestry research. And at the time, I knew a lot about my history, but I hadn't really thought about how I am connected to other people. And it's through that love of genealogy and love of history and love of our culture that I'm hoping I can share some of my experiences with you today. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that you accepted my invitation to participate because I want as many people as possible to leave their legacy behind and so, uh, again, I want to thank you and, and welcome aboard this train. I love the train, and we're going to keep it moving. All right. So I have a question for you. We've talked about old school, and we have looked at old school from different perspectives just based on conversations that we've had, we've shared. Mm-hmm. But I would like to ask you, how do you assess old school, and what does it mean to you? I'd say initially, when I thought about old school, it reminded me of all the things that we shared collectively growing up, uh, things that we could reminisce about, uh, shared experiences as being part of black families. You know, going to that church on Sunday, having that Sunday meal, having that reading of the Bible together sometimes. Right. Those are things that are old school, or even the tasks of 
being given chores around the house. That's old school. But as time went on and I listened to you and I listened to the podcast and others, I began to realize from my understanding of our history that old school to me became more like, I'd say, ancestor wisdom. I put it in a bigger perspective because when you think back, old school didn't just start with us. Old school has been around for a long time. And in fact, when you think about every culture has old school. We call it old school. Others call it tradition, heritage. There's really no difference. Right. You know? So if you say, I'd say old school to me is like that ancestor wisdom. It's a knowledge of their past and their experiences and their traditions that get passed down to us. That's what I call old school. Do you feel that we're missing out on something because we're not living, looking at old school on a broader perspective and that we're kind of focusing on probably, you know, something that's, new to us you know I mean that's fresh the music yeah. that we used to listen to um, maybe the clothes that we used to wear you know do do you think that we're probably keeping a narrow scope on old school as opposed to looking at it as an ancestor tradition I say absolutely I'd say that we need to come to the point where we can look at it in both ways mm-hmm and not choose one over the other. And certainly, um, having a broader perspective of what it means to understand the past through the teachings that you receive from your parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, and sometimes fourth and fifth great-grandparents. Because in essence, we don't really know how far back some of these traditions might go. Um, I'll give you the example of the Southern tradition of getting together for a fish fry. That tradition has been around. Everybody I've talked to older than myself remembers doing that. Right. And I thought about it and I said, perhaps they even did that before we came to this continent. The gathering of a tribal people or a village or community to celebrate any event that was important, be it a birth, a death, and we have those traditions, breaking bread at, at the birth, breaking bread when someone dies. These are all part of tradition, or what we call old school, I call old school. So yeah, they, they, we need to look at it broader, in a broader sense. It's kind of like being in a club. Mm-hmm. You know, when you, when you walk up to somebody and say, what's up, old school? Mm-hmm. It's, it, I don't, I've never met anyone who has been offended by that term. It seems like there's a, it's a term of pride if you are referenced as being old school. Do you see it that way? It's a term not only of pride, it's a term of camaraderie. It's a term of endearment. It's a term of saying you and I share something together that no one else shares. So 
sometimes words matter. And we often sometimes can misuse a word or misunderstand the use of a word. Mm-hmm. But old school, whenever I hear that word, I smile. Right. Because that's like when you pass your neighbor in the morning and you say, hey, you know, that's a Southern tradition. Right. You say, you say morning and you say, hey, mm-hmm. you know, and the kids speak properly to each other, say, hey, you know, hi, I'm greeting you. Old school is a greeting, an acknowledgement of a shared history and a shared tradition. So you see, it's like I look at your old school in a much deeper way than I'm sure um, most of your listeners do. And I look at it as a way of reaffirming that we have come through all of the hard times and we're still here. So here's this thing with me in this old school. Mm-hmm. I embrace my ancestors, you know, since I've started this genealogy. You know, I embrace my my ancestors. So I never go into a discussion. I never go into uh, a challenge. Whether it's a simple, friendly discussion or if it's a challenge. I never go into that discussion or a challenge without bringing my ancestors along. And what I mean by that is I try to recognize because if I bring my ancestors with me, I'm going to bring old school history along with me. And I'm not concerned about who's going to try to refute it because you can't. Do you bring your ancestors with you? Do you do you bring them with you to a discussion? My ancestors have been with me since I was born. Mm-hmm. So I have no way of separating myself from my ancestors mm-hmm. because of partly because of the history that my mother taught me about our family and the reverence to which she spoke about her ancestors and the pride that she had in her ancestors I think that became instilled in me as a very small child mm-hmm. and it was that her her pride I think is what made me want to know more and to find out whether or not the information that she'd passed to me, could I prove the truth of it? And I absolutely did prove that everything that she spoke to me, to the smallest detail, I could find on Ancestry and prove the existence of these people. So the ancestors have never left me. And in fact, you're going to laugh because I ordered a t-shirt the other day. And I ordered it because the t-shirt read, I am my ancestors' wildest dreams. Because that spoke to me. That if my ancestors could have dreamt the future and dreamt me, here I stand as evidence that their dreams came true. So yeah, we we need to revere the ancestors. I'll tell you, as I look at history in other cultures, I'll say in Japan, the elders of the country are called living legends. And they're revered 
because they contain the seeds of knowledge of the history, not the, just the history of the nation, but the hist- individual histories of families. And I'd like to see us at some point not look at one or two families as an example, but see all of us, see our families and our elders as living legends. Because once they are not with us, Frank, that information is gone. Is that difficult for us to do because, you know, when I think about my ancestors, and though I got a chance to, you know, to meet a limited number of my ancestors, but I thought they were much older than they were. And I'm finding out now they were like in their 50s when they died, in their 60s. Is it difficult for us to accept that title of living legends because we are living longer and we are doing things that our parents didn't do, our parents and grandparents didn't do? You're a living legend because you carry the tradition. Not because of the length of time that you live. Mm-hmm. You know, it just so happens that in Japan, uh, the people that they were referring to were all older. Right. But in truth, it's not about the age of the individual, it's the content of their mind, mm-hmm. and the content of their life story. Right. That is making them the legend. So you see, it doesn't matter if you're younger, you know, we are becoming elders much younger. Right. Maybe I shouldn't say it that way, because if you look back in history, I think we've always had younger people who were elders, but they only became elders to the the third generation. Mm -hmm. To the first generation, they're just mom and dad. Right. The second generation, they're just grandma. Right. Okay? And everybody look old when you're young. That's true. So so when you you look at them, you say, oh, they're old. And they could have been only about 35 or 40. Mm -hmm. And you say they're old. That's right. So we, we can't put a number on the elder. I think the elder becomes who is the surviving member of your family or your generation that holds as much information about your history as possible. Okay. So when I say old school music to you, (laughs) so what comes to your mind? You say old school music. Well, I get into Marvin Gaye and I get into the 60s, right? Right. But if I think about it, that's also including... Ola Tunji and some other, you know, Hugh Masekela. Mm-hmm. Because that in the 60s, we, believe it or not, were quite diverse in our view of the world. I think we were more open and we were more aware in the 60s of other nations than we are today. I think if you ask children today about the progress in certain African nations, they could... I don't know if they would know that. But in the 60s, we made a concerted effort, a conscious effort, to know about the up-and-coming African nations. You know, and then that's why we could come out with 
dashikis, and that's why we could come out with afros, and that's why we could come out with a, a understanding of that our culture ran deeper than just America, mm-hmm. and that the village that we belonged to was a bigger village, and while we couldn't necessarily pinpoint a specific village, we took all of Africa as our village. That's true. Do you think that that was a different, a different vision from you know being in the northern region versus the southern region? Because most of us in the south didn't know anything about the north. We didn't know about what you were experiencing. We didn't know the culture you had. But we definitely were dealing with segregation. We were dealing with racism. We were dealing with, you know, fighting to vote. We were dealing with so many things in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And we didn't get a chance to see a lot of the things that were happening outside of our world because we were really focused on trying to win rights, just human rights. Right. When so, I think about it, you know. Yeah, so could there have been a difference in, in, in your point of view based on the North versus the South? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll say the reason why I don't think so is that we were very much aware of the struggle that you had. Mm-hmm. Um, don't forget, even though we were North, Mm-hmm. We had, I at least in my family, there were many Southern relatives. Right. And letters went back and forth telling of what was going on. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think while you might not have been aware of us, we were certainly more aware of you. And that's why I think a lot of the young people in large cities, I won't say just the North, but in large cities, became focused on helping to get involved with the civil rights movement. And I don't know if you remember a lot of the buses that came from the north to the south to help with the protests. Right. You know, that didn't happen in every place, but certainly in major places where they could, a lot of young people from the north and from this urban environment, I'll say urban, mm-hmm. okay, came south to help right the wrong and help to support your efforts. That's true. In the south to win your rights. Mm-hmm. And and maybe we, we didn't, um, I want to say we didn't always probably succeed the way that I would have wished we did because we could have done some things a little bit more more to do to, to make it better. But we succeeded in helping to forge that civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. You know, because don't forget, Dr. King appealed to both North and South. Right. And if you look later, I mean, I myself traveled to Alabama in college to help register people to vote. I had I was not a child of Alabama, but I went to Alabama and I went to the rural sections of Alabama 
to try to get people registered. My mom didn't know it. She never learned of it. My family, some of my family knew I did it. But I didn't tell her because I didn't want her to worry. So what was that but like? It was... It was a learning curve for me. Because I got to see how my southern brothers and sisters in certain states lived. And how they were restricted in their movements and what they could do and not do, but that they had a great resolve that they wanted to overcome this beast that didn't allow them to become their full person. Mm-hmm. So I learned a lot from it. I mean, there were times that I ran into the clan. Mm. There were times that I, when I, I was a coordinator, that I would not... I could make the decision whether or not I left somebody in a town to do the registration or not. And there were certain towns or places in Alabama that I would not leave anyone because I feared for their existence there. You know, um, I used to have a map. I, I probably have it somewhere now, buried somewhere in the house. But I had a map of all the counties of Alabama that I had worked in. And I did that through the summer because we were issued a challenge that if we were so upset at what was going on, do something about it. Right. And I said, okay, if I'm going to put my money where my mouth is, I'm going to get involved. And that was my way of trying to get involved and helping. Is it time to separate old school from new school, put old school away. Do we do we need to put old school away? No, I don't think so. I think we need to tie together the connecting strings between old school and new school. It's you know, I think of old school the analogy I'd use is old school is like a, a road or a sea lane that's been charted centuries ago. Ships still use that. We still travel those old roads. Those roads, some of them still exist. But if we didn't have that road chartered or that sea lane chartered, would we be able to travel as easily as we do today? I doubt it. So I think, in a, in a sense, we have to find a way to cohesively pull those two pieces together so that it is one thread, one seamless thread that runs from old school to new. New thinking, sometimes people that say they have new thinking don't realize it's built on old thinking. Just like that sea lane or that road, if somebody gets in a boat and they go and they say, well, I want to go to from point A to point B, they go and somebody plots a, a course for them. And they have no idea because they don't really understand the sea lanes. But the person that plotted that course says, well, you got to take this, this route. And why? Because that route was plotted out as a safe route for centuries. And they'll ask you not to veer off that course too far 
because you'll get lost. Right. It's the same thing with old school. Old school is that road map that we need with our new boat, new school boat, to get from point A to point B. Now, Martha, I don't want our conversation to end. Not right now. So I would like for us to pause so I can start a a second session. Is that all right with you? That's fine. Let's do that. Okay. So I'm going to pause. You stay on the phone, and then we'll come back. Okay. All right. Thank you.